We are The Table, and we are so glad that you have taken time out of your week to join us. Here at The Table, it is our hope to move you forward in life and faith over the course of this message. At The Table, we do things just a bit differently. We pose questions in real time, and we want to give you some time to wrestle with those questions as well. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope that this message moves you forward. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. We have been in this series. This is the finale. This is the this is the culmination of the whole month. We've been into our series entitled The Game of Life. We've been looking at how the parallels between some of your favorite games or popular games and how it parallels to this thing that we call life. We played truth or dare. I talked about how when you reject the truth, you are opening yourself up to challenges and things that you are completely unaware of. We talked about a taboo, how words have power. If you don't want to see it, don't you say it. Real things happen when you speak, so you have to understand the power of the tongue. You can say things and speak good things, or you have the ability to speak bad things and turmoil and worry, etc. We talked about Othello. A game of strategy, a game of anchoring, understanding that you are up against an adversary who's already lost to Jesus. But that doesn't stop him from trying to distract you so that you lose too. We talked last week on the game of sorry. There are many things that we have explanation for and we make sense out of sorry. The word of God is tried and true, and we have to understand that there are things that are going to bump us. There are things that are going to jump us. There are things that are going to slide. We have to, all of those things will challenge our journey. But until you go to be with the Lord, you are in a constant pursuit. We agreed that every game has an objective. What you're out to do has guidelines how you're supposed to do it, and it has strategies. How have you decided that you're going to do it? And as I was planning this series, it's been several weeks, and I had all these ideas. And it's very interesting that when you have ideas, if you spend some time with the Lord, even a little bit, even your best idea is like, yeah... It sounded good until you start saying, Lord, what do you think? And so I had these ideas. I'm telling you, they was good ones, too. (laughs) They was good ones. The first one I had, I was like, ooh, I'm going to kill it. We're going to do Uno the last week. Uno going to kill him. Everybody play Uno because, look, the objective is to get to, because you can't win unless you get down to one card. No matter who throws whatever at you, You cannot win unless you focus on getting to numero uno. As a matter of fact, if you don't call uno when you're down to the last one, if you don't learn to call on the one, it might even be a setback for you. And your opposition could reverse things, skip things. You back at it, they'll change the color on you. Everything going good. And then lo and behold, here come a draw two, a draw four, mess your whole game up, and you got to start all over. That's going to kill them. (laughs) 
Then I said, ooh, ooh, what about Scrabble? Scrabble, oh yeah, definitely. This is a good one, Lord, I got this one. Ooh, because you know what, in Scrabble, it's good to know the word. <laughs> the more words you know, the more prepared and equipped you are when your opposition try to mix you up. Even better, when you cross-reference the words, And you can recall words to build on other words. The most important part, though, is to know where to apply the words. Because when you put the words on the board, you get more points. It's worth more when you know how to apply them. Towel. That's going to kill them. Yes. I guarantee somebody say amen. See, Lord. <laughs> then I said, no, but what about my favorite game? The game of chess. As popular as chess is, it's a whole bunch of people that don't know how to play. They think it's too hard, and they can't figure it out. But see, the game of chess is all about the king. You're going to kill him. There are many moves and a variety of pieces that you can use during the game. But make no mistake, everything you do is for the king and to overthrow the opposition. Your pieces, they all have special gifts according to their uniqueness. What? And when used... For the king, you can defend and attack to have dominion over the opposition. When you know the purpose of the game, you don't spend too much time crying over the pieces that you lost because sometimes you got to sacrifice some things for the king. What? And then I said, oh man, this is a hallelujah moment right here. As long as the king can move, victory is still at your grasp. I said, what? I'm going to preach all of this. And in my quiet time with the Lord, he said, that's great. You can share that with them. But we continue to talk about how in the game of life, it's about how you win. And we're drawing this parallel to these games, and it's all about how you win. But there's a really important differentiator between the game of life and these games that we've been talking about. And that is simply what's at stake if you lose. So today I want to talk to you about the greatest difference, and it's the cost of losing. It feels better to win than it does to lose. I think everybody's in agreement with that. There's joy and laughter when you're winning. You might even have bragging rights when you're winning. 
If you like me, but not like me, you might even have a victory dance when you're winning. But have you ever noticed how fun the game is as long as you're winning or when you know you have another chance? Games are all fun as long as I'm winning or as long as I know I have another shot at this. Okay, I get it this time. I get it. Let's go again. Let's play again. But I want to share a text with you and walk through the passage of Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, verses 20 through 25. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. I encourage you to read along with me, write it down, text it to yourself. Ezekiel, chapter 18, five verses. Verses 20 through 25. And the prophet of the Lord says this. He says, the person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sin, and the parent will not be punished for the child's sins. Righteous people will be rewarded for their own righteous behavior. And wicked people will be punished for their own wickedness. But if wicked people turn away from all of their sins and begin to obey my decrees and do what is just and right, they will surely live and not die. All their past sins will be forgotten, and they will live because the righteous things they have done. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the Sovereign Lord. Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. However, if righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and start doing sinful things and act like other sinners, should they be allowed to live? No, of course not. Should they be allowed to live? No, of course not. All their righteous acts will be forgotten, and they will die for their sins. Yet, you say, the Lord isn't doing what's right. Listen to me, O people of Israel. Am I, God, the one not doing what's right? Or is it you? This is the reading of God's Word. Now, I want to preface the rest of my message on a couple things. Because I, I'm seeing so many people talk in some cases and argue in other cases all over the world because of what's happening in Israel today. There's a war going on, and you have so many people arguing and having theological battles and having uh, people who say they are theologians or people who say they're believers cussing each other out and fighting about what it all means and what we're supposed to do about this war. This message isn't about the war, but I hear people constantly comparing the church to Israel, and Israel to the church. 
And there's something that we need to understand about this journey that we're on in life. And that journey is, we see it at the point of creation, that God did a thing to free us from the collective bondage of sin. What do I mean by that? In the beginning, we know that the Word of God tells us Adam was the first man that was created. He created Eve from Adam. Eve is the one who did the wrong thing, yet God approached Adam for accountability. We often talk about the first, this being the first sin, and we don't attribute that to Eve. We say Adam's first sin. And that sin is one that opened up the entire world and all life afterwards to enter in sin. That was a collective discipline for an individual decision. Is everybody following me? But there comes this point where God realizes, he knows all along, that at some point, individuals need a way to understand their relationship with God is his greatest desire. So he gives us Jesus so that individually we had a way to reconcile our relationship to him. Is everybody following me? Okay. Here's why that's important. Because in this text, you see, Ezekiel is a prophet of the Lord. He's sharing the word of God, and, and he's talking to Israel as a collective, but he's talking to the people of Israel, the individuals that make up the collective. You do understand you are an individual before you are a collective. The collective is made up of a bunch of individuals. Here's the thing. Our individual choices can connect us to the collective of the kingdom of God. We have to understand that. But we, and I know this is probably disturbing some of you because you don't see, you, you identify first as whatever the collective in the group is. And then as a son or daughter of God, second. That is what we are challenging. This is what God is challenging. The people of Israel had started to forget what he wanted was for them to obey him. And what they wanted to do was come up with other ways to feel valued, to have other things to worship, to have other things that were important. They individually were making choices, and God keeps saying to them, hey, knock it off. I have you in this place, and if you would listen to what I am saying, you could save the future, not just of yours, but your offspring and all to come, if you would just listen to the Creator. So when we read through this text, you can read this as like, damnation, like, ooh, ooh, if you don't do that, ooh. But again, this is God. Being a good parent, like many of you are, saying to your children, now look, I don't want to go out and show these people at your school I'm crazy. 
So I wish, could you just knock it off? See, some of y'all done had that conversation with your children. No, seriously. Because it comes to a point that says, look, for Pete's sake, I don't know who Pete is, but whatever. <laughs> for crying out loud, for in the name of Jesus, would you please just do or don't do? Because it's going to come to a point where I'm not going to be able to protect you from yourself. You have to make a decision about what you are going to do. And in that decision, you have to come to grips with this. It's your turn. We're talking about games and games. You have turns. You have a turn. The opposition has a turn. Beloved, can I tell you, it is your turn to be responsible for your own decisions, your own actions, and you are responsible for your heavenly future. It's your turn to have the opportunity to begin winning. Many of us are looking for God to just do a thing and change a thing in our life, and God can. God can. But you're sitting there looking and waiting for God to change and do a thing. Let's go to Romans 12 and 2. And it says this in the New Living Translation. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I, I, I generally show you the New Living Translation, but this one in particular, I really like this one part that stands out to me that it doesn't say it exactly the same way in some of the other versions. But if you notice, it says, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. God is capable of changing the way you think. God is, 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 is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ask or even think. But will you let him? Because what God really wants is for you to decide to let him do what he wants to do for you. Oh, man, somebody should have said amen. You said more amens on you. Oh, no. You got to understand, when you decide to let God change the way you think, you become what he wants and not what you want. God can do a lot of things, but he wants you to decide to want him to do it. Could it be that our greatest challenge in this game of life is that the world tells us from the beginning, you can be whatever you want to be. Could it be that while we're selling our American dream, oh man, I, I see some, some soil getting disturbed, but I just got to ask you the questions. Could it be that the way we've defined success the way we've defined what's important, the way we've decided that we have to plan out every single thing and have a plan for this and have a plan for that. And if you don't do that by the time you're this age, and if you don't have this by the time you hit this birthday, and you don't do this before you had that gray hair, and you don't do this before you had this knee pain, and you don't do this before this, could it be that all of that 
has put us in a position that we've allowed our own gusto and our own drive and, and all the things that have, people have poured into us. Could it be that we're chasing something that's contrary to what God wants for you to do? Lord, I'd rather preach chess. Lord, it had been a lot easier to just talk about Scrabble. But we have to understand that the cost of losing in this here game that we're playing, the cost of losing means that we could be internally, eternally separated from God. And if you think that life here right now on earth without God is rough, according to what I read in the Bible, this ain't going to be no party after life if you're not with him. There are some faiths and some practices that say after, de after death, I don't know, you just float out there somewhere in limbo for however long. But if that's true, some of y'all can't wait on the bus. <laughs> Is really sitting out there in eternity floating around worth not choosing Jesus? Just asking the questions here. Some say you come back and you'll be a, some sort of animal after you die. Some of y'all will run away screaming right now if it was a squirrel in here. No, 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 no. Like, are you understanding what I'm saying? Like, look, I... Nate, don't have a heaven or a hell to assign you to. So I'm not standing before you trying to say, look, you, you can think everything that I'm saying is silly. You can think the fact that I'm saying live your life according to what the word of God says. Chase after him. Pursue righteousness. Watch him bless you. Do and be disciplined. You can say that, you know what, that's hubbub. None of that's true. And all I'm standing here before you is saying that if it's not true, Let's play your game. Whoever you are, maybe you're in the room, maybe you're on the video, maybe you'll listen to the podcast. Let's play that game. All I've done is live my life trying to care about humanity, love other people, be positive in the light in places that are dark. All I've done is to try to be an example to the circle of influence that the Lord has allowed me to be in. All I've done is try to not be a potty mouth and actually speak life into people and not death. All I've done is to try to improve my community. All I've done is try to influence a generation. All I've done is care and have compassion for others. All I've done is try to be self-reflective and ask myself, 
what is my character and what is my moral standing. That's all I've done. But let's play my game. What if I'm right? And while you deem all of that stuff insignificant and it doesn't matter and it's not important, let's play that game. And you just threw it all away and said, you know what? It's nothing. It's whatever. I got time to work through my confusion. I got time to do this. I got time to do Let's Let's play that game. Then what did you lose when it's all said and done? What's at stake? What's the cost of you losing in this game? Today, Baptism Sunday is always one that is important to me, not just because I'm a pastor and you got pastors that run around and they say, well, how many people sit in your seats? How many people did you baptize last week? And that's like a metric of how exactly you're doing. But I don't put myself under that kind of pressure. I speak the word of God, and I know that it was the spirit of God that changed my life. And I trust and I hope that whether I see you give your life to Christ or not, maybe one day you look and you remember what that bald, sweaty head man told you. Maybe it's five years from now. Maybe it's 10 years from now. Maybe it's 10 minutes from now right here. I stand here and I say, this is the time to make a decision. If you are here right now, before we get into our baptism, if you are here right now, you see Pastor Emily. And if you want to be baptized today, if this is a moment that you say, you know what, I can't keep playing this game. I can't keep taking this risk. I want to be baptized right now and declare that my life is not my own, that I recognize that Jesus Christ is a Savior, that I recognize that I've done things wrong, that I recognize that I need to be forgiven, and I recognize that I am separated from the Lord and I don't want to do that I don't want to take that risk I don't want to play that game this is the moment to see Pastor Emily and let her know today is my day count me in I'm taking my turn and I'm giving my life to the Lord I stand before you because I, I remember a couple of things of how the Lord worked in my own life and the way that the Lord did did some things that transformed me. And I remember I heard, a, I heard a pastor share a message just like this. And he said, you might not be ready to come tell me, but you got to be honest with yourself. And he gave me a moment to pray and this was the prayer that I prayed over myself and anybody else who was in that room that day there may have been others but I took the next step to say God make me into the man that you want me to be help me trust you that whoever and whatever that is it will be greater and I will do greater than I want to do for myself so in that moment that he offered to 
invited me to trust Jesus. I wasn't ready necessarily, but I made a recognition that, wait a second, this is a game I don't want to play by myself. And I need, I need the Lord. And if there's any way, I'd rather take my chances with him than to take my chances without him. So I ask you, do you want God to have his way in your life? Do you want God to have his way in your life? Do you want to have a life that's filled with wins and filled with victory in eternity? If the answer to that question is yes, then this is the time to surrender yourself. Jeremiah 29 and 11 says this, for I know, God knows the plans that I have for you. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Your future is right now. You can win right now. But just as important, more importantly, it's not about winning right now. It's not about the future that is right now. It's about the hope of life and God's love everlasting. Today we celebrate baptism. And I love what Jesus says. He gives this imagery in Matthew 7 and 13. He says this, this is the word of Jesus. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and it's gate is wide for many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and, the, and only a few find it. What I love about this is that this wide gate implies that there's something easy to go through. If the gate is super wide, you don't got to do nothing special because there's room for you. And in that wide gate and in the room where you have to do nothing special, it caters to your preferences, it caters to your comforts. But Jesus warns us that a place of comfort and a place of normalcy as the world sees it, that wide gate like that is like, hey, come one, come all. But that's contrary to Jesus' words, that none will see the Father unless it comes through him. Jesus has a way of really working in mysterious ways. And I think it's funny that today our baptism is one of our children who has heard and listened and decided that she wants to be baptized. This morning during our prayer time, I thought it very interesting. I thought it was, I, I'm going to come on down to the floor. I thought it very interesting. Pastor Jeannie prayed, we always pray right before service, and she prayed something that brought to my remembrance a couple things. And in her prayer time, she reminded us that Ellie's mom, Gina, was actually a spontaneous baptism on Easter Sunday a couple years ago. Amen. So on a service like this, she was not planning to be baptized, but she heard 
and was moved by the Lord to be baptized just like this. And she went and she got a t-shirt and she chose on that day to be baptized. And now, right here, right now, we get ready to baptize her baby girl. But then, God reminded me of something even more crazy than that. And he reminded me of when I first met Gina. I, listening to God do, tell me stuff that don't make sense, decided that I would go to a networking event for business owners and those starting businesses or having business. And I would show up in Hobart, Indiana, in a random whatever room, to sit with business owners and all I had to offer was Jesus. I'm gonna say that again. They were, business, they were there for business. I'm a pastor. And while everybody was promoting business and talking about business strategy and how to connect and sharing their gifts, my wedding cake, is if I remember that's what it was called, what you can offer to people, just prayer, just friendship, just Jesus. That was more than six years ago. Gina and I met for the first time then, shortly after I met Ellie's dad, Bernardo, and we connected and they started coming to, they helped me out with something at the church, far from here. And they had started coming regularly, popping in, going there. So that's when I first met her, Ellie was only one. My wife had coordinated for Christmas the nativity scene and a play. And Ellie was the cutest little lamb in the play. Oh, it gets better. So fast forward all these years. I stay in contact with Gina every so often. Hey, how you doing? Everything is okay. She said, I said, I ain't seen you in a while. Have you been going to church? Where are you going? She said, ah, well, uh. I said, where do you live? She told me. I said, my buddy has a church that's not too far from you. Man, this is when it gets good. I said, it's called the table. I said, you need to go to the table because it's close to where you live. Catch up, y'all. I wasn't here. I was not here. I was on a different God assignment somewhere else. We connected in a way that God said do something unorthodox. She made a connection to feeling like I need some God in my life. I told her, you need to go to this church that's closer to you. I don't care if you come all the way here. If distance is a problem, you need to go somewhere where they're talking about Jesus. Because Jesus is going to change your life. You need to focus on that. And I gave her this address. And she started to come here. And she was here maybe one or two a couple times. And then she called me one random day. She said, you're never going to believe what happened today. I said, what happened? She said, that church you told me to go to, I got baptized today. I said, what? <laughs> Ellie's testimony is part of predates me at the table. God was working in her family and in her young life. 
before I even got here. And here I am, that same little baby lamb. That same, see as a pastor, sometimes God has to give you. If this message challenged you and moved you forward, personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our mission here at the table, head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information.